So, Jeffrey, tell me, where were you born? I was born in Australia, in Melbourne, okay. uh, when my father was in the Air Force there. Okay. He was in the Air Force in the last couple of years of the Second World War. Oh, was he? Okay. And flying up in, from the north of Australia into Indonesia oh. and that area. And then after the war, he demobbed, but then re-entered the Air Force just before the Korean War. Okay. Do you have siblings? Do you have? I have two brothers. Are um, they older or younger? They're twins. One of them was um, in Japan for many years. He uh, was at the embassy and uh, he worked for um, the Northwest Shelf Gas and the West Australian government. Mm -hmm. Are they younger or older? They're one year younger. One year younger, okay. The other right. one is a barrister, <laughs> but he's just retired. Are they identical or fraternal? They're identical twins, although. The elder of the two, who was in Japan, who speaks very good Japanese, um, terribly has uh, multiple sclerosis, oh, so he's quite immobile yes. these days. Oh. They both live in Perth. Did they both have um, um, wives? Did they get married and have yeah, kids? Yeah. Um, Michael, the one who was in Japan for many years, his son still lives in Tokyo, works for Sony, I think, okay. went to ASIJ and uh, then Stanford, I think. So he's okay. never really lived in Australia. Right. But is, so his wife was Japanese? No, no, she was Australian. Australian, okay. Oh. Terribly, when he got MS, uh, she bailed. But anyway, that's... Oh, that's sad to hear. Sad to that's, hear. And my other brother, Stephen, who's got, uh, he's got three children and okay. a number of grandchildren. Oh. So. What about yourself? I have three sons. Okay. Two from my first marriage. My first wife passed away in 1995 and in a triumph of hope over experience I <laughs> remarried okay. so I have one son and my wife is still lives in Tokyo here okay she's Japanese yeah both of them are Japanese oh, okay so right. my second son's a member of TAC actually is it? Alex Walker okay he's living in Singapore at the moment but I think mm. they're going to come back to Japan so you're saying they, he must be married and have kids. And He's got two own. children. His okay. wife works for J.P. Morgan Isn't in right? Singapore. Okay. So, um, and as I said, my eldest son is now 40. He has been in the film business for quite a few years as a cinematographer. So he's worked on a lot of quite big films. In Name, name some. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> I guess... Well, you're okay, you're done. Mission, you're done. You're Mission done. Impossible. <laughs> you're done. That's Mission good. Impossible. Wow. Uh, the Mad Max film they did down in South Africa. Yeah. Um, and more recently, the latest Mad Max film they did in Australia. Um, he's done quite a lot of quite That's big nice. films. Those are big films. Those are big. I don't think you get any bigger than that. Those his are wife, the big his films. wife works for the uh, Australian Chamber Orchestra. Wow. So they've got one, one daughter. So I have three grandchildren. And my youngest son, Andrew, is 27. He went to the British school here in Okay, Tokyo. yes. And, uh, He's 27, you said? Yeah. Okay, because I taught at the British school. I had my three boys at the British school. When it's, it was only three years after it had opened. Oh, in Shibuya originally. In Shibuya, yes. Yeah, yeah. Before they went to Showa campus. And they're moving up here, I they're, see. They're moving. I just saw that just the other yeah. day. They took me through there to have a tour. That's going to be all the elementary... Up to secondary, I think they're going up to the age six There's years old. There's over a thousand students there now. They're going to have the biggest secondary school in Japan, yeah. I think, of, of international schools, I mean. So my yes. youngest son is, um, 
he works for a, a New York-based company called Mongo mm -hmm. DB. They're a, a large AI database company. Okay. So he works for them based in Sydney, but he can work from anywhere mm. and uh, earns more than the rest of us put together. I mean, it's good to have people like that in your family, you know. <laughs> so you don't have to, you know, you can feel pretty, pretty comfortable in life. Yeah. You know, your kids, if they, if you have a good relationship with them. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Jeffrey. When you were growing up, were you more of an academic kid or were you more sports minded? Uh, more sports, I suppose. I, um, I have, um, like a lot of young children these days, I have a sort of an attention span deficiency. So, I academically I did fine. Okay, but uh, I preferred sports. Okay, what sports did you like? I used to do a lot of swimming. Oh, did you? You yeah. were good at swimming. And okay. I played um, some rugby, but more field hockey. I mm -hmm. don't know if you've heard of. You oh know, yeah, 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 field hockey. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a big sport That's in right, Australia. Australia. Yeah. Right. So I went back to school. <clears throat> we moved to Hong Kong in, when I was about three. Okay. And then I went so back. So you went back to Hong Kong? We went to Hong Kong in 1957. But you were born in Australia? Yes. And my father... So how old were you in 1957? I was just about... I was four... I was born in 1952. So same, I'm, so much, so we're the same age. I was, my birthday, yeah, I was 71 a couple of days ago. Okay, so you beat me. I'll be 71 in October. Oh, okay. So you beat me by a couple of months. <laughs> so we're both 50, we're both dragons. Correct. You're the dragons, yeah. That's interesting. As was one of my closest friends here. I, you probably met him over the years. Um, passed away a few years ago. C.W. Nickel. You remember him? A writer and environmentalist. Lived up. I'm in, sure if I saw. In Nagano. But he never. No, he wasn't here. But I know of him. I do. He know never of him. lived in Tokyo. No, he lived in I Nagano. I know of him. I know of him. And he was very famous. Yeah. People yeah. knew the, the um, prince and princess yes. of Japan. The prime minister. They all went to visit him. And. And Charles around. was being up That's there. That's right. Yes. Yes. So no, I know of him, but we I still have a house. Him. I still have a house up there next Do you to. Really? He has a um, a woodland trust called Afan mm -hmm. Woodland Trust, and um, I'm just trying to remember the name. Of, uh, you know, you probably met him. Worked at the U.S. Embassy for many years. Um, Jim Jim I mean, Foster. Foster. Jim Foster. No? If I see him, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But Nick passed away about two years ago. Right. And. Um, uh, all of his property, all the money he made over the years, he's invested back in the Woodland Trust. So we have some land next to there, which I've just donated to the trust, actually. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, it's a nice house we have up there, but it's, the kids are not going to use it and just maintenance and stuff. So I that's gave right. them the house as well. So. Oh, that's beautiful. That's nice. Is that where you're here now? Uh, you just did that or you did that before? I'm... I'm Completing, I've got Completing to go up and now. see the lawyer and okay. talk to the people at the yeah, trust. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'm doing that. But um, you're going to still keep something in Japan, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we've we just rent a uh, an apartment in Ikura Hills there, right, right. which is very very reasonable. Right. And everything works beautifully in Japan. It doesn't matter about the space; everything works. And the food here is good. Uh, and the cost of living here is right. probably half what it is in Sydney. Especially because you know your way around, you know where to go, you know what to get. So it's a little bit different than tourists coming here, not knowing, sent to the most expensive places. But, but Tokyo, I mean, Japan, for what you get, Japan is cheap. I think so. I think so. I think so. Having lived here all my life, all my adult life. I, I guess yes. I've lived in Japan altogether for about 36 years. Or okay. So. 
I'll be 50 years soon. And I came here when I was 24. I was a student at um, Keio University in the early 70s. Studying what? Um, Japanese and also economic history. Oh, so you're Asian, Asian studies and economics? Yeah. Okay. Is that what you got your degree in? Yeah. Okay. So then when you got, so when you came here then, did you stay after you got out of college or did you go back home? I went and worked in Hong Kong for a couple of years with a, a British company called Swire, John Swire and Sons. Ooh, we're getting, you, you were touching a lot of areas. They own the apartment that I lived in, in my last... In Megaro. In, Megaro House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that was, and, and I forget his name, who was Richard the Neal. Richard Neal. How is he doing? He's doing okay, I guess. His son had a lot of issues. I know. I knew his son. <clears throat> and his wife um, is not so well. They live in, uh, near Brighton in England. Oh, they didn't stay... They didn't else. stay in Japan. See, her brother a, is a his wife's brother is a doctor in Tokyo here okay. somewhere. But I had a, ma a mail from him a few weeks ago. He, I think he's just been in Japan for a visit. Is that right? Yeah, I knew Mill. It didn't go so well because we were moving out of the apartment, and, and, and it's how he wanted me to move out. And I said, eh, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. So we kept it open longer than it needed to be. That he they felt, and and he offered. He said he said we'll offer to sell it to you. I was too young at the time, and I was scared, and I didn't know anyone. I think Swires at the time, I mean... They were getting rid of their properties. They had businesses in Japan, obviously right. Cathay Pacific. Right. They had a shipping agency business, and they yes. were getting out of... That's right. But what's happened to Swires Sons? They still exist? Oh, yeah. They're still a huge company. Okay. They employ about 300,000 people. The Sons are still a part of it? Uh, yeah. They're, well, they're the grandsons and things like okay, right, that. Right, right. Are they based in Hong Kong still? I Hong think Kong so. and London. But really? they have businesses in, they're still quite big in shipping. They have um, bulk carriers and um, offshore oil supply ships and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, they have tea plantations in Sri Lanka. They've got, they own U.S. Cold Storage, which is the largest cold storage company <laughs> in the United States. Wow. They own quite a lot of agricultural property in Australia. Why do you know so much about Swainson? I worked for them. You for did work for them. What, what, what was your position there? I was in the shipping business. Okay. And my father worked for them too because he was a pilot with Cathay Pacific. Okay. <laughs> so we went. Did to you ever meet the Swires? Did you ever meet him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. There were two, two brothers who were the sons of, or the grandson of the original. It used to be called Butterfield and Swire, and it was based in Shanghai. Okay. They were a trading business, and then they started shipping. What years are we talking? Oh, mid 1800s. That's what I was going to think. Yeah, late 1800s. Right. And then they really, after the um, communist takeover in China, they moved everything to Hong Kong, mm -hmm. like a lot of people did. Right. And they're quite big in property. They own Coca-Cola franchises around Asia, and so they're they're quite big. They were in Japan. They owned um, buildings in Kobe and Yokohama. So on the Yokohama Bund down there, one of the old buildings there was the Swire House originally. Okay. Is that right? Well, they lived there. They had the Swire House meaning? They, they yeah. didn't live there, but that was their shipping the headquarters. Shipping business. Okay, okay, and then okay. la more late in later times, they had a thing called Swire House up in Ichibancho. Okay. Yeah. And the, the family themselves, Adrian and John Swire, owned the apartments. They owned two apartment buildings in Tokyo, but that was separate from the company. That was their right. own private. That was Megaro House? Megaro yeah. House, and there was one more. I've forgotten. And that, the Megaro House was built by, um, by um, Homat. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Matsumura, yeah. Um, Richard was basically the last president, essentially, of Swire in Japan. Okay. And his job was to tidy, you know, tidy, tidy it up, up and get rid of the, you know, sell sell off things. Yeah. Richard was a very nice, kind, and soft spoken guy. He was. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, so Swire. Pretty much not. I mean, they still have a bit of shipping, few shipping interests here, and the airline still flies here, of course. Yes, that's true. But, uh, so what? Do you, so so when you so you left KL, and then you went to I went to Hong, Hong Kong, Kong with Swire, and then to, I was in Korea with them for a number of years. So you stayed with them throughout your whole career? No, no, no. I okay. stayed with them for about five years. Okay, and then where'd you go from there? And then I went and worked with um, some Chinese friends of mine who. One of them had been in Swire and uh, in the shipping container leasing business, mm -hmm. a company called Genstar, which okay. was owned by a Canadian sense. group. And we sold the business to GE Capital. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was running the business in North Asia. Okay. And then I moved to Sydney and set up the business in Sydney. Doing what? Essentially leasing equipment to shipping companies. Okay. What kind of equipment? The, the containers? Containers, boxes. The containers, okay, that's what you're doing, okay. Because I was in the medical equipment business. I was the largest buyer and seller of UCT scanners for 10 years in Japan. Right, right. Right, you remember, I just remember that. I was using Maersk, yes. And I used... Well, they were our biggest customer. Really. Is that right, Maersk was? Yeah, oh yeah. Is that right? But in those days, a, a, a decent-sized container leasing company maybe owned, I think, when I left, the company owned about 300,000 containers. And now okay. the largest companies like Triton and Textana own 3 million containers. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I was just happy to get one scanner in a 40-foot container. Because <laughs> we couldn't use the 20-foot. We had to use 40 because of all the components and stuff. Yeah. I was just learning. Sometimes we'd have open top. Yeah, open top the, and there's flat there's tops. Flat and tops and everything. I started learning flat some of the jargon. Flat racks and reefers. And, That's right. Yeah. Tanks and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, containerization really revolutionized transport. It did. And then people had to have those ports, too, to, to accept it because they didn't know about that. And those, you know, that bit the of equipment, it's the gift that keeps on giving because you use it for, or lease it out for seven or eight years and then you sell it in the second-hand market. And a lot of people use them for storage That's and right. housing, mining and sites and housing. And they do, yeah. They last forever. They sure do, those steel containers. That's interesting. Wow. So you did that, so how long were you in the business? Uh, for 10 years. For 10 and then years. I joined the government, Okay. Uh, the New South Wales state government. I was in Sydney and my wife, um, the one, my first wife, sort of was okay in Sydney, but maybe wanted, I thought wanted to come back to Japan. So I saw this job advertised and I applied for it. In those days, they didn't even test my Japanese or... What was the job? It was the commissioner for the state government of New South Wales in Japan. In your responsibilities? Basically, trade promote. The originally, the state government office was set up in Japan because um, coal, the coal exports from New South Wales, were essentially government controlled, and the government wanted to have some representation in Japan to deal with the, the steel mills and the power utilities in Japan. But we used to be involved in essentially trade promotion and tourism promotion, that kind of thing. Mm. 
I think a number of the U.S. states also have representative right, offices right, yes. in Canadian provinces. Right. And so I did that in 1988. That's when I joined uh, the American Club. Okay, in 88. Okay, what was that? I and I think that's that what, we the president of the time, he's, I, I'm sorry. That was Bob Collins. No, it was before Bob. It was the guy, he was with PwC, I think. Because I joined in 88, and Bob Collins was one of my sponsors. But he wasn't the president then, I don't think. Yes, he was. From 88, that 19, let me think, let me get my head right. I know I've been a member since 1988, yes. Yes, right, I'm sure, because Lewis was, my son was born. It would have been before. Bob Collins. Bob, Bob, Collins. Was, Bob was the president after that, I think. After no, he guy. was no. I'll show you down there because I'm sure because he he was my first. I can picture him. He worked for Price Waterhouse because Bob worked for AIJ. Yeah, yeah. Bob was the president of AIJ, and he was over tack at that time because I remember he was always standing up in a suit. He was always there. I don't know the person before him, but he's up there. I'll show you because we're down. We'll go down there. Yeah, it was. Um, but he I'll was think of his in '88. Bob Collins was the president. Maybe in late '88. Because this well, maybe he did start in late 88, because I joined in 88, but I know Bob was the one that was my, he was my sponsor, and then I got one of the Connors boys, I got Nick Connors to be my seconder. I had Bill Hall was my sort of second. Bill Hall. Bill was oh, a teacher of mine at university. Was he? Gee. Oh, he's still around. I know, he belongs to, we belong to the Tokyo Club together. Yeah. And I taught his son. Oh, he was the librarian. I taught his son. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a secretary or something, yes. Yeah. Bill Hall is something, he's still there, and his wife still does her paintings. Yeah. And his son, I've had him on the podcast. Willie's. Willie's I, I bumped into him last time I yeah. was here. Willie's yeah. good. I taught him when he was a little kid. I taught him when, when Bill had him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was at ASIJ, wasn't That's he? That's right. Because I used to do some coaching of the soccer right? at St. Mary's. My, okay. my two elder boys went to St. Mary's. Uh-huh. That's good. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, I remember Bob very well because his daughter was at ASIJ That's as right. well. A good swimmer. I taught yeah. him swimming, yeah. And what was it? Murder at the Tokyo Club. He Tokyo drew that book. Club. I think he wrote two books, but that was one of them. Murder at the Tokyo Club. That's right. Because he was quite good friends of the guy who was the manager for a long time here. You're talking about Dick Bush? Yeah, Dick Bush. The, yeah. They had the three, three of them. It was Dick Bush, him, and someone else. Those three guys were like um, Frank Sinatra. You know, yeah, they, 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 they called Rat, Rat Pack. They used to frequent the um, uh, Traders, Traders Bar. Traders Bar, that's right. The, the Trader Vicks. Sure that's right. Trader Vicks? Oh, Trader, the, the, oh, right. the new Otani. That's yeah. where they would be. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Because they was... made Dick Bush general manager here. Yeah. He sure did. Yeah, there was a lot. In those days, it was sort of. It was the old a lot of the ex old boys guys who'd been here with the occupation and all of that sort of stuff. They took care of each other. Yeah. They sure did. They had their own code and nobody could break it. If you're in that group, you're in that group. So that's why I wanted him to be my um, sponsor, because I knew if I had him as a sponsor, I doubted anybody would say no. Yeah. So he was my sponsor, and he was the president. Yeah, so your number must be close to my number. 13671. 13253. <laughs> so, you, so you came in just before. That's right. So then maybe he wasn't president then. He, no, he wasn't. I know, because he this, wasn't. this yes. guy was the yeah. one of the partners. Or but, he, the, but he was president in 88. Yeah. I know that. This was, was early 88. Yeah. So early 88. Um, he was giving up his presidency, right? I know. I've we'll his picture's it. still down there. It has to be, yes. Yes. And one black guy. <laughs> and before that, I was a member of the YCNAC. So. so I became a member there because I had my kids at YAS and St. Yeah. Moore. 
Okay. I had two of my boys in St. Moore, two of my boys in Wyansford High School. I used to play cricket and hockey down there and rugby yeah. down there. Oh, you didn't do lawn bowling? <laughs> that Not was yet. so funny. I used, to love, I used to love watching them play lawn bowling and getting in positions. <laughs> that was so funny. I sit out there all day just enjoying them, just watching yeah. lawn bowling. So a lot of the guys who I, um, young guys who are here in the shipping business, like mm -hmm. Alan Morrison and uh, Robin Hones and they all were rugby players, right. so we all used to go down the YCAC weekends. Especially when they put up that new. De that was the artificial turf would have been the time you still were playing. No, when we were there, there it was wasn't. just the dirt. It was just the dirt. Just the dirt. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So and the tennis courts there. So yeah, it, was, right. it was a nice club. I guess it's still going. So tell me, what were your what was the experience here when you? So you went there. You said you. Went, when did you come back to Japan? Um, I. I was at university here, and then I went to Hong Kong, and I was in Korea. Right. Uh, in fact, I was in Korea when Park Chung-hee was assassinated. So, what was that like? Well, then it was basically it was pretty much a military-run country in those right. days. Right. And all cars were black, and that's right. They had curfew from midnight till like right. four o'clock. I used to go out there then, yes. So, as one of my English mates used to say, you'd be down in Itaewon at the uh, one of the clubs at the right. bar, and he'd say. Oh, Jeffrey, 11 o'clock, time to fall in love. <laughs> That's right. Or go to the monkey house, they used to call it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an interesting place. And they place. had the Hamilton Hotel, yeah. Oh, the Hamilton, that's where everyone used to go. That's the military hotel, yeah, kind of. After, if you got stuck in, you after got stuck curfew, in you go, go down into the basement there right. for like four hours. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I was there for a couple of years. And I lived there, I was there again for a couple of years when I... Uh, after career in 88, uh, not 88, 78 through to 81 or so. And then I moved back to Japan. I started working in the leasing, container leasing. But you were, you were working with the government too. You came back to Oh, Japan. that was 88. In 88 is when you came so back. So from 81 through to 80, 88, I worked, container business, okay. worked for the leasing business. Right. And then we sold our shares out of that. I mean, the business is still going, but... I think it's owned by the Chinese these days. Right. And then I worked for the government for 10 years okay. um, here in Tokyo, so from 88 to 98. And then I went and worked in the, um, in the food business, really, in the dairy-related business. Now, how did you get into the food business? Well, it's just somebody, I was leaving the government after you know the contract had finished. I didn't right. want to hang around, so... Um, someone approached me about setting up the business here for an Australian dairy company. And you did? I did. And then we were merged together with the New Zealanders, Fonterra Group. Okay. And so I worked, stayed working with them for a while. But I was looking after the business in Korea for a couple of years as well from Tokyo. So then in, um, when was that? I keep losing decades. Um, it's easy to do when you get our age. So 2002, mm -hmm. three, four. And then um, I worked for, <clears throat> again, was approached to set up proper business for a company, an Irish group called Kerry, Kerry okay. Ingredients, okay. which is a very large food um, ingredients company globally. Um, so we had a number of factories in Asia. And I guess they had about 200 factories around the world making food ingredients of various kinds. So I worked for them for nearly 10 years. Mm. And then retired in 2011. 
and then was back in Australia most of the time. My okay. wife was still here looking right. after her mother. And was very fortunate, really, because my parents passed away during that time. Okay. Had they stayed together the whole time? Oh, yeah. So yeah. how old were they when they passed? 80, one was 86, and my mother was 86. My father was 85. He passed okay. a year or so before she did. Okay. That's not bad. They had a pretty good run. Good innings. Yeah. <laughs> As my mother used to say, 80 is kind of the use-by date. There you go. Okay. For that generation. Right. That is for sure, yeah. So, and she was in the medical, she was a, a nurse all her life. Really. I see. Uh -huh. Worked in Hong Kong, actually. Your father stopped flying when? He retired from, in those days, they retired at 55. 55, right. It's now 65. That's right. So he was happy, they were happy to leave Hong Kong after 25 years or so. Okay. He stopped flying when he was 55, or he stopped flying with Cathay. Commercial, right. And then built his own private little airplane. He got a kit from the United States from our, um, it was, um, what are they called? From near Portland there. Um, okay. RV, Vans aircraft. Okay. And built it himself and did a bit of flying in that. Did he? Wow. So, no, they, they had a, both had a good, a good that's life. That's good, that's good. That's so then in a triumph of, again, triumph of hope over experience, I was approached by the New South Wales government again to set up their office in Japan again. When was this? 2013. Okay. And you did it? I did it. And it was the worst thing I ever did in my life. Why was that? Why was it? They like? hadn't thrown any proper resourcing at it. So it was just myself and a... Wait, you had to fund... Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand. You mean resources as far as people or money? Um, both. So you. So how did you... How could you do it then? Well, I, I did the best I could. You know, I had a lot of connections and... The embassy helped me a lot, and um, <clears throat> so were they promising you something at the end? Of well, it they were going to do this and going to do that. But, okay, you know, it, the problem was it was run by low-level bureaucrats in Australia. Things like, well, if you have to do any entertaining, you have to um, get prior permission. So I said, you mean if I want to take someone out for a cup of coffee? And they, yeah, 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 you've got to, you've got to write an. Okay, uh, I and I said, no, I can't do that. So how long did you stay with them? I was originally going to do two years. I did three to help okay. them. Because a lot of the politicians kept visiting here and I had to right. look after them. And, and then in the end I said, no, I can't do this anymore. Right. And then a few years later they bit the bullet and they've set it up properly. They've got a proper office in Kyobashi. But you weren't involved? No. Okay. There's a guy called Michael Newman. Okay who'd been here with Macquarie Bank and various things for quite a few years. It sounds to me like what you did was you showed them the potential. And well, then, I, And after you showed them the potential, they, then they said, okay, the, now we The problem doing. was at that end. Previously, when I represented the government, it's a kind of a, a strange position. It's a little bit like being in the embassy in a way. You have two masters. One is the bureaucratic arm of government. And the other one is the political side of government because okay. you are the face in Japan and they would be in touch with you directly, which would upset the bureaucrats who you're meant to work for, right? I hear you. You know, it's about this power right. and who's in right, charge. Right. So in the end, I mean, by this stage, all the politicians and the senior bureaucrats are all a lot younger than me. Okay. <laughs> so I felt comfortable just saying, sorry, yeah. I can't do this anymore. Right. Right. Mm. Without burning bridges, I mean. That's right. So at the end of 2016, I retired permanently okay. and 
threw away my suits. So what do you do? Because you told me, you said you, would, you, said you, you wrote me before you came here, you said, Lance, I have no more suits because I'm living the good life. Uh, well, I have no need, I have I, no need I for them sort anymore. sort of do a bit of, well, COVID has been a big interruption for everybody. That has been. And um, I bought myself a boat, sailing boat. I love sailing. How, how big is it? 26 foot. Okay, that's good. It was an old boat. I mean, right. but as they say about any boats, the, the cheapest day is the day you buy it. That's right. That's right. After that, it's but I go. I do quite a bit of sailing. I do okay. some racing. I keep the boat just north of Sydney at Pittwater. Had you been doing this prior to that? I'd done a lot of sailing as a young kid in Hong Kong. Okay. So, in fact, the boat I bought was very similar. It's the same type of boat that my father used to have in Hong Kong. Uh, so, it's good for you know something to do. Right. right. Um, do you go out with people all the time? Uh, do you take the people out with you? Yes, yeah, very close friends of mine live up that way. Okay. Guys I used to know in Tokyo and in Hong Kong. So it's sort of geriatrics go sailing kind of thing, which is good fun. And I travelled to Perth quite a bit to help look after my brother. Right. Um, and I came, my wife comes down to Sydney twice a year for three months at a time. We're in the process now of applying for a permanent residency. Yes, you were telling me that, right. We've only been married for 30 years. We're finally right. getting around to it. But, you know, she, she loves it here. Uh -huh. She's still doing a little bit of singing and that sort of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, she was, um, used to be on a program years ago called The Drifters. Oh, everyone knows The Drifters, yes. Um, she was quite a well-known singer years and years ago. Is it? Okay. Um, She's just made a couple of new uh, songs which are, are being played on that sort of, what do you call it, You Sang Horse Right, right, right. Yeah, so she keeps busy with that. Uh, that's good. And hence stayed a member of, of TAC. Okay, so she comes here often too. Yeah, we got the, I think it's a senior membership the, the senior, now. So did I, I got mine, that little grey card. And it's worth it. I mean, our apartment that we rent is quite small. It's only... Two bedrooms, yes. right, and it's very convenient. It's two minutes walk, so makes it nice for you. Yeah, and then you have access to this all the time. When it's yeah, open, so that's good. Yeah, makes a big difference. I remember years ago having some fears about how the, you know, when all of this was being redeveloped and everything, and the, the, the we have, and I guess that money's still very tight, is it? They 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 love to say that. I I don't like to get into that because there's no reason for it to be. I guess my concern was the business model right. at the time was based on a, a quite a substantial slab of the revenue base, what I'd call the tax base of the okay, club, right, 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 which is was essentially the changing of memberships. Well, that's what it was. No, we had the role. And so I had to change the, right. change the exactly. model. They sure did because we used to get it because corporations were putting people here. And that was a big, big source of revenue. Every three years, we'd get a big swash of that. And it was continuous. Yeah. That was and the that churn. gradually changed it because changed. the well, expat situation changed. The turnover of people changed. That's right. Did you envision yourself as a little kid, as a kid, when you were growing up? I would assume that you probably wanted to become a pilot. I did. I've done quite a lot of flying over the years. So you have your license? I still have a license, okay. yeah. Private license. Okay. And I've... I've done, uh, I had a license at one stage to fly, you know, small executive jets. Okay. Yes. But I've done, I've done it privately. My father yeah. talked me out of it. He said, why don't you go to university and, you know, there's more to life than sitting out, sitting in front of an airplane looking at the midnight sky. So he convinced you to change, to do something else. Yeah. Uh, and I agreed with him, actually. Okay. Uh, I, I, I 
would have been bored, basically. Right. And so you, when, when did this happen? When you were in high school? Or when did you start to tell you that you... I mean, did, did you always have... You wanted to become a pilot up until when? Oh, I guess my early 20s. Then he talked you out of it. Well, at, at the time I was at university, the Vietnam War was on. And I was, that's why I got... And they had uh, national service conscription in Australia. Oh, they did? But it was not based on everybody. It was, they would pick certain percentage. birthdays yeah. out of the hat. That's what they did with ours. Same thing with ours. So you could be on the 14th of May yeah. and not get picked, and the guy yeah. on the 15th got picked, right. which I thought was very unfair, really. Yeah. Well, I got picked. As soon as they pulled my, you had a number, and it was a percentage base. If your number's low... There's more chance you're going in. You, they pick up, like, you'd have to have, like, in a big city, you'd need, like, 1,000 because they'd only pick maybe 200 people. So if you have 1,000, you're safe. <laughs> My number was six, and I'm from Los Angeles. So I knew I was going. So I went and enlisted because I didn't want to go into You joined the Air Force, didn't you? I sure did. I, was, I, was, I would have, if I'd been picked, if my number had come up, about that time... That, Conscription, the government in Australia changed and conscription was cancelled. Mm -hmm. But I would have joined the Air Force Academy and right. gone flying, in right. which case I would have gone flying. Right. I'm glad I didn't in a way. Right. But. So then your father talked you out of doing this and then you decided to go into, how did you get into the container business, work with swine? Well, no, I, I, I then, um, when I, at university, they started, and Bill Hall was there at the time as one of the tutors and stuff, they started a Japanese department in the economics faculty and Torquay Corporation who owned property in Western Australia were sponsored the whole thing and there was a few of us started a guy called Ken Boston and Bernard Key you remember Bernard Key names are familiar but I don't he was know. at Hitotsubashi years ago but they all formed the core of the department with some Japanese teachers and stuff and it was a very small group uh, of people with only very few students and um, basically langu intensive language study so like 40 hours a week for a, a couple of months to start program and then intensive language and also Japanese economic history and politics so but when you came to Japan you pretty much knew what was going on here right. which was very helpful so most of us who graduated from that master's program, um, had scholarships to study here in Japan. So some were at Waseda, Stotsubashi. Mm. Some had Monbusho scholarships. Mm. And myself and my brother went to Keio. We mm. had a scholarship that was funded by the Australia-Japan Nishiko Keizainkai, the Japan-Australia Business Corporation. That's where you met Bill Hall? I knew Bill Hall from university days. In Australia? Yeah. Which, which university? Uh, university of Western Australia. And he was a teacher there? He was a teacher. He's originally from Sydney. Okay. But he had been studying in Japan. I think he was at Kale. Mm -hmm. And um, he was recruited to be, because he'd done economics as well, he was a teacher or an instructor or a lecturer at the University of WA. Mm -hmm. That's where he met Mamiko. Okay. Her father was the consul general in Perth. Okay. <laughs> wow. You know all these And Bill shows. was a very good tennis player. He yeah. could have was been he? a professional tennis yeah. player, yeah. yeah. He used to play a lot of squash. Yeah, too. he was a good squash player. Yeah. Too, yeah. 
uh, squash at the old time. Yeah, so that's that. how far that goes back. So, Isn't it? Wow. Um, yeah, so I'd always been in love with Japan. Mm-hmm. And we first came to Japan um, in 19, I'm thinking 1960. So I still have a photo of Tokyo Tower had just been finished. Just I been finished right, in the 50s. So in 1960 you came. We came, yeah. Wow. And the first time I ever saw snow was the, we were up in... Um, <laughs> uh uh, Lake Chuzenji okay. near Nikko. Yeah. yeah, it was. So my father used to fly back and forth to Japan quite a lot. Whenever yeah. he'd come back to Hong Kong, he'd always bring a box of strawberries or so peaches right, or right, right. something right. from Japan. Yeah. So we had a number of holidays here in Japan. So it became sort of natural when they started the Japanese department at the University of Western Australia that I was interested in that. So yeah. So hence studying Japanese and then coming here with a scholarship and then pretty much staying in this part of the world ever since. Mm. Jeffrey, if, if, before I end the podcast, I'd ask this. If you could go back in time, know what you know now, you're 70, 71 years on this planet. <laughs> if you could go back in time and talk to the younger Jeffrey and give him advice, what age would he be? What age would he be when you went back and what would you tell him? What would I tell a younger me? Yes. About and how, and how old would you be? About whatever. What advice would you give him? I, I often wonder that um, how the world has changed so much in our lifetime. How difficult it is offering advice to younger people. The world is a completely different place to when you and I were young. It was a simpler place. I. I do worry a lot about for young people these days, actually, because um, I have a number of friends whose children have um, committed suicide in the last number of years. You may know friends who've had that problem as well. I think the world is quite complicated these days and more stressful, certainly. I don't think when we were younger we actually ever worried about being able to feed ourselves or there was always something you could do and I think um, I noticed you know in I think in the United States probably and certainly in Australia that um, mental health is a big problem among younger people I think the world is um, uh, I'm a little bit you know worried about where the world is going and you tend to go into rabbit holes, I suppose, but you see what's happening in the United States with what I call the Trump phenomenon and that kind of thing. But, um, uh, very few people or politicians or leaders in the world have a, a longer term view of, or vision for the world mm. and how to manage the economy and uh, equity and uh, Sometimes I find it quite depressing, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very good to come to Japan. The Japanese seem to be able to sort of wander wander through all of these issues without getting too, uh, getting too stressed about the whole thing. Although I suspect underneath they are quite stressed. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. But what would you tell yourself? Would that, you're just telling me what's happening. What now. would I tell myself? And what, how old would you be? Or would you tell yourself anything? Um, are you happy about where you are? I mean, I'm a great believer in 
the old theory that you get to the fork in the road and you take it. <laughs> so I think follow your instincts, I think. I think the best thing you can do is to try and educate yourself about something. I think the greatest thing I would tell myself is whichever, wherever you want to go, <clears throat> you have to adapt and you have to, the reason why God gave us two ears and only one mouth is that we should listen twice as much as we speak and try to understand other people's perspective. Now often that doesn't, <clears throat> in this modern world where it's all results oriented and short term and that sort of thing, it's often you run the risk of being accused of going native, you know the expression. <laughs> I've heard that, yes. <clears throat> but um, I think I would, I would stress the fact that you have to take a longer term perspective and that managing your life by quarterly results is not going to get you to where you want to go. I agree. I think that was a big mistake in business or anything else. And we found that out from being, living in Asia. Yeah. They don't do the quarterly. They're thinking long term. Exactly. They're thinking long term. They might, they might do it, but that's not what they're really focusing on. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So to have, I think the word is patience. Yes. And I think one has to, although I would say I'm not a socialist or we're a, uh, but I'm certainly not a, what I'd call a modern capitalist in the sense that everything is about money. Right. And I would urge my children to, uh, or I, I would continue to urge myself as a younger person is to, uh, is to look at the bigger picture. So not treat everything as if you're a professional sportsman and you've only got five years to make your, make your, your make your wad. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I think taking a longer term perspective and being a little bit more understanding. I, the world is, is becoming much more tribal again now. And I think that's a, a result of how fragile our economic system really is mm. and an inability of leadership political leadership around the world to um, grapple with problems in a, in a, in a sensible way. Mm -hmm. Everything seems to just kick the can down the road, the debt mm -hmm. issues. Everything. The I mean, modern monetary theorists would say that governments have the printing presses, so it doesn't matter. Debt doesn't matter, but eventually it does. It does. Yes, it does. And it may not matter to us, but it matters to our children who mm. inherit all of our debt. That's right. That's right. I want to thank you, Jeffrey. Like this. Thank you so much. Not at all. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. <laughs> and never forget, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars <laughs> because you're too blessed to be stressed. <laughs>